Hello, hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, the unceded homelands of the Mohegan people who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm your host, always have and always will be, H. Bosch Jr. And joining him is host... To Sina Bazila Hickey. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Ron Deutsch of Saratoga's The Giving Circle, talking with Mark Dunley about the organization's work in Uganda. Then a roaming labor correspondent, Willie Terry, reports on the November 3rd Get Out the Vote rally at the Labor Temple in Albany. Later on, Ama Kwaki is interviewed by Age Bosch Jr. for a triple E segment on her design business, Ama Kwaki Co. After that, Rensselaer County District Attorney Mary Pat Donnelly speaks with Andrea Cunliffe about her reasons for pursuing a second term. They talk of justice, crime, process, and solutions. Finally, our poetry correspondent, Tom Francis talks with local poet Elizabeth Gordon about poetry slams, sharpening metaphors, and how an open mic event in 2011 changed her writing forever. But first, here are the headlines. Okay. Troy Glow, a five-week public light display, will brighten downtown Troy this holiday season from Sunday, December 4th through Sunday, January 9th. The, the display announced Wednesday by the Art Center of the Capital Region will feature illuminated outdoor art installations commissioned by local artists. That's great. There will be 14 outdoor sites for display. It's getting into that season, isn't it? Starting to look a lot like <laughs> Christmas. There are other holidays, too. <laughs> the record reports that 70-year-old Election Eve tradition in Troy will continue on Monday, November 7th. The Italian Community Center is hosting the Election Eve Spaghetti Supper. The tradition dates back to the 1950s when the old St. Mary's Parish held the event. One reason for the gathering is to bring candidates for elected positions and community members together to discuss the candidates' positions on various issues in an informal setting. The Times Union reports that Capital Region residents are once again caught in the middle of a dispute over reimbursement rates between the Albany's area's largest health insurer, St. Peter's Health Partners, one of the region's largest health care providers, the companies recent, recently sent out dueling notices to patients advising them to either start looking for a new insurance provider or find a new doctor. All right, for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital regions through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, you can go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. Okay, let's kick off another awesome show. The Giving Circle is a charitable organization based in Saratoga that helps individuals originally started to provide assistance to those harmed by Hurricane Katrina. It also assists families in Uganda. Ron Deutsch, did I say that right? <laughs> I think Deutsch. Deutsch. That was okay. good. Right. My German. 
talks to Mark Dunley of Hudson Mohawk Magazine about their recent trip to Uganda to visit the local orphanage, schools, and birthing centers they support, thegivingcircle.org. We're joined today by Ron Deutsch, who uh, recently returned from a trip with the Given Circle to their uh, project uh, in Uganda. Um, the Given Circle, based up in Saratoga, was started in 2005 by Mark Bertrand, initially very focused on providing relief to uh, people after Hurricane Katrina down in the uh, Gulf Coast, Mississippi, Louisiana area, but they've also adopted the Given Circle Africa. So we're joined today by Ron, who actually was the uh, board president from 2008 to 2018. So Ron, why don't you give us a brief introduction to the Given Circle and why are you guys involved with Uganda? Sure. Thanks, Mark, for having me on. Um, the Giving Circle, as you pointed out, we got started right after Hurricane Katrina. Um, and we went down to Waveland, Mississippi, dozens of times to rebuild over 20 homes um, for people in need. Um, and, you know, over time, um, that kind of morphed into this kind of circle of compassion, if you will, um, where we were trying to help others. Um, and then our founder at the time, Mark Bertrand, um, he got us involved in uh, working in Uganda with an orphanage. Um, and lo and behold, we ended up uh, buying a building and creating an orphanage. And it really started with about a dozen uh, orphan children um, and now has really kind of mushroomed into this amazing project where we're building schools, birthing centers, drilling freshwater wells. Um, we sponsor about 180 children right now. Um, so we've been doing a lot of work over there and really making a big difference in people's lives who really need the help. Um, can you explain a little bit about your recent trip? And when you, you know, so are you working in one community in Uganda or is it a series of communities? So it, we're, we're working in multiple communities right now. We started in the Jinja area at a Basoga Primary School. Um, and we've literally built numerous additional buildings on site there, um, working with them hand in hand. And one of the most important things we do is really kind of respecting the people there, respecting the culture and understanding that we don't know what's right, they know what's right. Um, so working with them to try and meet their needs uh, as they perceive them um, is really one of the most important things we do. But so we work in Basoga at the primary school there, which we just also launched a school for deaf and disabled children um, who really have no future in many areas in Uganda. Um, so this really gives them a chance. And all of the kids in the school are learning how to sign the hearing children and non-hearing children um, in order to be able to communicate with each other. So it was, it was pretty moving to um, see that. Uh, and we also work in um, a couple of smaller villages. One is called Kagoma Gate, and it is literally a, a village of mud huts um, with thatched roofs um, and some very, very, very poor people um, whose families are working in the sugarcane fields. Um, but we were able to go there and um, it's really been nothing short of miraculous. I mean, we, we basically first drilled a well, then we created a birthing center because too many women were dying giving birth due to unsanitary conditions. 
uh, and then that morphed into a school, a kitchen, uh, medical waste incinerator, latrines, an additional well, uh, playground. Um, so this community is being very well served right now by the Giving Circle Africa and really is giving people uh, a chance at a better life. So how, how is this thing, you know, all being funded? Is this, you know, from fundraising that the Saratoga Base Group is doing? Or are you getting grants? Is there any support from the government? It's really um, driven by donations from people in Saratoga and around the country. Um, you know, we recently got involved in helping Ukrainian refugees as well, settling them here. Um, so we have a number of donors who have been extremely generous with our organization. Um, and we are eternally grateful to them. But we also have a lot of very small donors who you know, uh, just, you know, either uh, adopting a child, you know, for $35 a month, you can adopt a child and ensure that child gets, you know, an education, health care, um, nutritious food, it really, you know, that $35 for basically a dollar a day, um, you know, you're, you're giving a child a really a chance at a, a much better future. Um, and some security as well when they actually graduate from school. They'll have a little nest egg uh, in order to either start a business or go on to a secondary school as well. So, yeah, it, it's really, you know, we, this is our first time back in three years since COVID because we weren't allowed in the country. Um, so it's been really hard. You know, we, we it, the communication there is very difficult with things like Zoom. And language barriers and things like that. So um, we really needed to go, you know, and lay eyes on um, the work that was being done there. Uh, and it was really nothing short of miraculous. So we we're very pleased to see that um, they've been incredible stewards of the money that we've been sending over there. The kids are all healthy. We got letters from them to their sponsor parents. Um, so we really, it was a very productive trip. It was one of those trips where, you know, it, it's uh, kind of incredibly moving because, you know, you're, you're, you, you both feel great joy and great sadness uh, at the same time. Uh, but the people over there are just incredible. I mean, they are, they have nothing, um, yet they're willing to give you the shirt off their back if you needed it. Uh, and they could not be kinder to, to folks. So uh, it's just, a, it's a, a, an amazing place. And, you know, we, we really need to provide the help that we're providing there because it just makes a world of difference. Now, I meant not being very familiar with Uganda. Idi Amin is what I remember. You know, what is the, you know, standard of living in general there? And are the people you're helping sort of the, 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 the poor of the poor or... In fact, are they more representative of the um, economic challenges that, that many people in the country are facing? I think, you know, a lot of the people we're helping are the poorest of the poor. Um, and, and some, you know, are, are not. Some are better off than others. But that's just the way it is in Uganda. Um, you know, I mean, every day is a struggle to get by for most people there. They're doing everything they can to make a few bucks, whether they're selling the produce from their, you know, little, um, you know, a garden that they grow for themselves um, and to, you know, sell a little bit of food. Um, you know, it, it's really a struggle to get by every day. And between inflation, you know, driving up food costs and fuel costs, 
uh, all around the globe. You know, it's not unique to the United States. Inflation is happening everywhere. Um, so it's been really hard for folks to get ahead. And, um, you know, food is obviously costing more there now. So it's harder to buy that bag of rice or that bag of beans that the family needs uh, in order to survive. So, you know, things are have been rather dire, um, but, you know, uh, things are improving and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to help move that forward. So we only have about 90 seconds left. So I'm going to ask you a two or three part question. Um, you know, one is if people locally want to help, you know, support the effort, help us they do that. And, you know, how is a, you know, group based in Saratoga, you know, overseeing, a, you know, projects, I don't know, thousands, ten thousands miles away? Yeah, so we are definitely good stewards of our donations uh, that are provided to us. Um, that's why we went over there. So, you know, we go over usually twice a year. And now that COVID restrictions have been lifted, we'll be going over there even more. Um, so, yes, we're making sure and we're tracking all those funds. But, uh, you know, most importantly, uh, we need more people engaged in this kind of work. Um, you know, we, we believe that compassion knows no borders. Uh, and we help people here locally. We're helping people in Ukraine. We're helping people in Uganda. Um, you know, we need people to help us help them. So if people are interested in learning more, they can go to thegivingcircle.org. Um, you can donate. You can learn more about what we're doing. You can sign up to volunteer. Um, there's no end to the good that we can do together. And I was checking out your uh, website today, and I noticed there are quite a few pictures. Uh, people want to see, you know, what is going on in Uganda. We've been talking to uh, Ron Deutsch, uh, The Given Circle, and this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks again to Mark for that report. And that website again is thegivingcircle.org. Okay, next up. Hear from the speakers at the November 3rd Get Out the Vote rally, sponsored by the Labor Temple in Albany. Our roaming labor correspondent, Mr. Willie Terry, produced, produced this report for the Hudson Mohawk magazine. Willie Terry, your roaming labor correspondent for the Hudson Mohawk Network. And I'm here today at the uh, Labor Temple in Albany, New York, where they are having a big rally called Get Out to Vote Rally.
in Albany, and that is our mayor of the city of Albany.
us here in this room. We believe in diversity. We believe in making certain that there is every effort made to bring us together as a nation. We're not the great dividers. We're not the party of no. We're the party of progress, of innovation, and a future, a vision that moves us forward as the Biden administration has done. And this is an important election. My friends, this year democracy is on the ballot. Women's issues, reproductive rights, is on the ballot. The climate challenge is on the ballot. Voting rights are on the ballot. Let us remind all of our neighbors and friends and family members that our power is at that voting booth. Let's vote for progress, let's vote for moving forward, and let's continue to invest in America. Mayor Shane talked about the efforts made for local governments, all the state capitals, and all the state legislatures, and all the local governments, our cities, our villages, our counties, our towns, received a shot in the arm from the American Rescue Plan. I was proud to vote for that plan, and it's making America work. A, an American public health crisis that actually was global that we haven't seen, the likes of that we haven't seen in over a century. And we came through it and we're going to continue to move forward. We gave shots in the arm for the regional economies by having local governments and state governments invest in the dollars that came their way from the American Rescue Plan. But I also voted for the infrastructure bill. And I voted for I voted for the Chips and Science Act. And I voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. All of these are changing America. This is an eclipsing from the past. This is America embracing her pioneer spirit. She's investing in research and development. She's investing in manufacturing. She's investing in jobs, in the trades, in the white collar professions, and she's investing in the people. That's good work. That's what we need to continue with this election when we make a statement bold and clear. Here is my guest, uh, Mark Emanation, who is the uh, Capital District Every Labor Federation Executive Director. And Mark, what do you hope to get out of this rally today? Well, I hope that we get working people in our unions and their families to go out and participate in this election and vote for the issues that we think are important. Jobs, Social Security, health care, schools infrastructure, the things we need, protect women's right to choose, protect LGBTQ rights, protect the rights of African Americans and Latinos, 
and all of those things. That's what we need to do, and I'm hoping that this energizes people to go out and do that. Yeah. It was a lot of people here today, Martin. They have a lot of energy. We, we were worried that there was only going to be 100, and there was way more than 100. <laughs> so we're very happy. Always the big worry as organizer that no one will come, and they they came. All, all of the unions turned out today, and community turned out today. We had folks from the Regional Food Bank and Catholic Charities, the NAACP, very good, very good. All right, thank you, Ma. Thank you. Willie Terry, roaming labor correspondent, reporting from the Get Out, the vote rally at the Labor Temple in Albany. Great. For those of you just tuning in, I'm H. Bosch, Jr. And I'm Sina Bazilahickey. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. Okay, if you like what you're listening to, or if you like what you hear, and I know you do, you can support this program by telling a friend, relative, or family member, find today's story and more at mediasanctuary.org. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, we're excited to have our next guest join us on the Zoom. I'm a Kwaki, you are the designer lead of Amakwaki Co. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, yes. We want to say thank you so much. Uh, this young lady is an up-and-coming fashion designer, entrepreneur, and uh, we're going to let you tell us uh, the rest, okay? Um, why the name Amakwaki and Company? Okay. So good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is a pleasure to be here on the show with you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. The name of my brand is called Ama Kwachiko. Um, Ama is from Ghana, and Ama means born on Saturday. And Kwachi means family of royalty. And the Ko is because I'm into philanthropy. So although I am a fashion label, I do hope to one day open an orphanage back home in Ghana. Wow. <laughs> I could just stop right there. How <laughs> <laughs> was one born into such an incredible name? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I um, am of Ghanaian descent. So. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. How long have you been uh, designing? So just to give you a little backstory about who I am, I went to Syracuse University, actually, graduated 2013. Go orange. And I started go off, orange. Yeah, go orange. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes. I started off just as an accessory designer. So back in 2012, I would make accessories and have pop-up events there. So the first time that I actually started doing apparel is in 2016 when I actually opened my store in Accra, Ghana. Okay. So how did you begin all of that then? Just, um, you know, and I don't mean to sound, yeah. Because right, you've been designing for that long. Uh, what made you uh, start all it? And what made you want to go into this, you know, to begin such a daunting uh, task of starting your own fashion design business? Okay, so studied fine arts, accessory design, fashion design at Syracuse University. And in 2011, I went to Accra, Ghana to intern for an NGO called Global Mamas. And when I went there, we went to teach women about entrepreneurship, um, customer service, you know, building their own empire. 
you know, stuff of that sort. And when I went to Ghana to intern for six weeks, I just loved the culture. Besides me being from there, I felt so at home. And I felt that was a place where my brand, Amakwatiko, needed to begin. So after I graduated from college in 2013, I worked for about two years to save up money because without the cash flow, you can't, you can't build a brand. Amen. So after the, yeah, after the two years, I went to Ghana and I stayed there for about two years, opened my store, and then I came back to America. Okay. So um, in your um, About You um, event, it says you love hosting events to bring entrepreneurs and other artists together. When is your next event? Speak to that and tell us a little so, bit about that. Yeah. So to even before I really get into the event, I just want to say that, you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy. It's not easy being a, being a business owner. Amen. And when we Again. think about it, everything is business, but we're not really taught in school, sorry to say really much about business, but business, a school business, everything is a business. So for me, to more business oh, and we need to support each other. For me, knowing how difficult it was for me to start, I want to have other people that are just like me, when they are older, and to be able to push their dreams. So with that being said, I'm having my third pop-up day party extravaganza in New York City this upcoming Saturday. Okay, okay. So uh, Tell um, people how they can uh, get there and uh, I just speak to that a little bit. Give, give yeah. me some more information on how they can get yeah, there. Yeah, so... Yeah, so my event is actually on Eventbrite. So if they type in Amakwatiko's Day Party, they'll be able to find it on Eventbrite. And um, the address is 617 West 46th Street. And the event is from 1.30 to 7. Okay. So all are welcome to come. We have um, 16 entrepreneurs. We have a few people who are up-and-coming artists who are going to perform. We also have a live painting. Okay, great. Yes. So um, what's your favorite part about being a business owner other than... Uh, I always tell people when, when you're in business for yourself, a business is like a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend. They're always calling. <laughs> They're always calling you. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so go right ahead. You're right. That's funny. <laughs> so for me, I love working with people, number one. So I like this. I have I like the satisfaction of seeing people wear my designs. There's no right or wrong way of doing business. And, you know, I'm forever learning and growing. So for me, just every day is a new journey and a new experience. So for me, my favorite part is being able to experiment and most importantly, being able to meet and work with different groups of people. Okay. So, um, you know, the fashion designer business is already competitive enough, but how did you find your niche? Because uh, people, when you visit her website, I mean, she's definitely found a niche and I mean, knocking it out of the park. So how did you develop your niche and find your space in such a competitive industry? So to be very honest, I didn't know my Please niche. Please do. That's what we expect. <laughs> you know, it really took time for me to find my niche, to find my target market. You know, I would never say I'm still even learning till this day. You know, um, in the beginning, most people would say that it takes like the first three years to really know if your business is going to be successful or if it's going to flop. But for me, sometimes business is up and sometimes it's down. So as fashion is forever changing and the economy is changing and everything is growing, um, my niche is also changing day by day. But what keeps me going is knowing that I have support, I have supportive people around me and you just have to keep going. Oh, great. You know, I've been thinking about how the Ghanaian fashion scene is 
I mean, really all the culture is getting more and more notoriety. And recently yeah. on the cover of Vogue, was it, with Michaela yes, Cole? Yes, it was. Yep, Vogue, yep. Mm-hmm. So could you talk about some of the other fashion designers from Ghana who influence you and maybe non-fashion designers, but other artists? Yeah, so my actual favorite designer of all time is Christy Brown. So Christy Brown is actually Ghanaian, and she has a beautiful fashion label in Ghana and also based in the UK. So I love her designs because she also incorporates, you know, um, African designs, but she definitely has a unique twist to it. And for me, being in Ghana, um, there was a lot of people who were mainly using the same type of Ankara, which is African print. But I love to see people incorporate other fabrics to make their brand like stand out as opposed to the next one. And that's why Christy Brown is my favorite designer. And I hope to be a very big fashion label like her one day. No, 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 no. Let me correct that. You will oh, be a very amen. big Amen. I will for sure. Designer. Yes. Thank you. Right, you got to claim you. it. All right. You got to claim you. it. Yes. Yeah. Thank there ain't no you. second guessing when you're in business. I always tell people right. when Thank you're an you. entrepreneur, you got to think like this. If there's $200 out there, 100 got my name on it every okay. day. You got to okay. wake up believing that and feeling it from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Okay? Thank you. Yes. All right. So um, tell me this then. Um, where do you see yourself at? Uh, we got a few minutes left. Where do you see yourself at in five years, your company? Okay. So I've actually also been to China. I know how to speak a little Chinese. Go and ahead. Give it to me, girl. I... Give it to me, girl. Ni hao, ni hao ma. So I just said, wait, 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 let me say something. You didn't know I know how to speak that stuff, did you? Really? (laughs) Great, great. So anyway, where do you see yourself at? So yeah, I was like, okay, you want to talk Chinese? Let's speak Chinese. Yeah, my my, my engineers, (laughs) her her head just turns around. (laughs) 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 But um, I would definitely love to open a store in China one day. Great, great. So... Um, that is definitely in my five-year plans, and it will happen, as you said. As a business owner, you got to manifest and speak it that it's going to happen. So I'm going to open this door. The next time we speak, I'm going to be like, you know, it's happening. It's here. Right. Okay, so let me ask you before we close out. What advice would you give, especially some young uh, little girl, whether she's a person, of a little girl of color, or just a young girl who's doubtful looking at herself in the mirror and not really knowing where she wants to go, what advice would you give her? How would you speak to them? So no idea is ever too big or too small. Whatever you want to do, literally just go for it. And I'm telling you, even if, you know, right now social media is very big. So even if you post something and nobody likes it, just keep going. I'm telling you people are watching because I can even say that for myself. That there could be times that I post something and maybe I'll only get two likes on it. But when I go to my website, a lot of people are supporting and buying. So just don't give up. And even if it's only for you, it could be small. To somebody else, it could, be, it could mean the world. So just keep going and never be afraid to ask for help. Great. Mm. Great. Yeah. And, and, and also, yeah. there's no such thing as a stupid question. Right? Mm. You know, a whole lot of people have gone broke over making a stupid move, but there's no such thing as a stupid question. So don't be afraid to ask. So, Miss Ama, we thank you. All right. And I just want to say I thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for everything you're doing. And I thank you for everything you will continue to do. It has been a plum pleasing pleasure to uh, have you on the show today. And God bless you. you May heaven continue to smile upon you. And I'm sure. Our paths will cross again. 
And that website, Amakwaki Co. So well, oh, sorry. I, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please say that again. Yeah, so it's Amakwaki Co. Okay. Oh, oh, and tell people yeah. how they can reach you real quick on all the, on your social yes. media platforms. So Close out. Yeah. My, on Instagram, it's A-M-A-K-W-A-K-Y-E-C-O. On Twitter, same thing. A-M-A-K-W-A-K-Y-E-C-O. Facebook. And on my website at www.amakwatiko.com. Thank you and stay blessed. All right. You too. God bless you. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. From fashion to the elections, Rensselaer County District Attorney Mary Pat Donnelly spoke with <clears throat> excuse me, Hudson Mohawk Magazine's Andrea Cunliffe about her reasons for pursuing a second term. It's Andrea Cunliffe here with the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on Election Watch, November 2022. Today I was speaking with Rensselaer County District Attorney Mary Pat Donnelly. And you've been district attorney since 2019. Why did you decide to run again for another term? Well, there's two reasons. Um, I love my job, but more importantly, there's work to be done. And I think that continuity is very important. Traditionally in Rensselaer County, we haven't seen long tenured district attorneys in some respects, the will of the people to remove people and to, and to have different styles brought into the office is good. However, I think that a little continuity is important that we can get our feet under us here in this office. Um, in particular, there've been some major changes to the laws over the last couple of years. Couple that with the pandemic and a lot of progress was stymied over these last few years. So I really feel like I need this next term to keep up the good work we're doing and to continue to implement the changes that have been put forth and, and make sure that justice is served in Rensselaer County. You know, it's interesting because when you think of a district attorney, I think probably like many, many, many people think, oh, yes, I've seen law and order. I know exactly what a district attorney does. I have a feeling there's a lot more to it than that. I, I think that's accurate. Yes. <laughs> we kind of focus sometimes on being in the courtroom and taking cases to trial. And quite frankly, there's a lot more to managing and making sure this office does justice than just what we do in the courtroom during trials. One of the things that's been very important to me is building trust in the community. Trust had been somewhat damaged, in my opinion, the last administration, which is one of the reasons why I decided to run. So I have tried to focus as much as I can. And, and quite honestly, it was kind of unique during the pandemic when we were out of the office at times to have a little bit of time to do that. So I had a chance to be out in the community helping people with masks and helping people get testing and helping people get at-home tests and working food pantries and trying to help people meet their basic needs that you don't traditionally see with a district attorney. But at the end of the day, it really does make sense that I'm the person you're trusting to decide who's being prosecuted for what on a daily basis. And it's good to get to know people hand-to-hand -hand so they have a certain level of confidence in what I'm doing. You said the word justice. How can you possibly define justice? It seems like there's a really technical term for it, but then again, there's a social and an emotional term. How do you feel about that word? How do you feel that that applies to what you do without being just obvious sure. to the law books, but the other, the other aspects of it? Well, you have to think of justice in, in my role as is that balance, the scales. You look at the, the damage to society, I like to think about the offender, what brought them in front of the court, why we're prosecuting them. Obviously, the needs of the victim are paramount. If there's an opportunity to make the victim whole, if there's an opportunity to bring the victim a feeling of 
comfort that a penalty has been handed down that somehow helps add some balance to their loss. Because again, I think one of the hardest parts of this job is even in our most successful prosecutions, we can't undo what is sometimes horrifying damage that has been done to an individual or to the community. So it's going to look different in every case. And, and it always harkens back to that balance between the need to rehabilitate a defendant, but equally important, the needs of the aggrieved party and, and what they need. And you may see two cases that are very similar, where you have one victim who's looking for certain relief, and you'll have another victim who's looking for a different type of relief. So I always have to remember that the prosecution is brought in the name of the people of the state of New York. We don't bring the prosecution on behalf of the victim, but the harm that they have suffered is a big part of the permutation that we go over in terms of what's going to be justice in a particular case. A little bit about you. So what is your experience in, in the law on the other side of the bench? Sure. So when I first graduated from law school, I worked out in Vermont as a prosecutor in the state's attorney's office. So that's akin to being an assistant district attorney. So I did that for a short while before I came back to New York. And I actually worked for the unified court system as what they call a court attorney, which is a law clerk for a variety of city court judges. So I worked over in the city of Albany dealing with all of the cases that came in there, advising the judges as to the law, research and writing. And then after doing that for about 12 years, I was elected judge in the town of East Greenbush, where I handled both a civil and a criminal case. Interesting. So how do you feel about how the the uh, the prison in Rensselaer County is, and that's not far from here in Troy's, how does that run? Is that working well? Is are you confident that that's exactly the kind of system you want to see, or is there a need for improvement? How do you feel about it? Well, I much like everything else, I think they would benefit from additional funding. I know they're having a very hard time finding people to work within the jails. Now, that said, I have worked on both sides of the river, Albany County, Rensselaer County, and not to disparage Albany County, but I can say that in my experience, Rensselaer County Jail runs pretty efficiently. And that when I was a judge on more than one occasion, I would get a phone call in the night to come in and arraign someone, which would give me the opportunity to send them to a jail of choice. And um, they always wanted to be arraigned in Rensselaer County by me so they could go to the Rensselaer County Jail. So if they had charges in Albany County and Rensselaer, they would prefer to be here. So I think that's a, a bit of a testament. I have visited the jail um, on multiple occasions, even during COVID. I find it to be a very clean, well-run jail. Um, they do have Folks who are committed there actually working in the kitchens and in the laundry and walking the halls, which shows me that there is a respect for the hierarchy and that they have things under control there. I know they have faced legislative changes too, such as the HALT Act, which has caused concern amongst corrections officers about keeping things safe. But from my experience, I'm comfortable that the Rensselaer County Jail is efficiently run and keeps our inmates in the most humane circumstances required. It's amazing when you when you read recently a, an article that it's like eighty three billion dollars a year in the United States go for um, incarcerations for prisons. Astounding amount of money. Astounding, astounding. Mm -hmm. uh, you must find some way to relax and rest. Do you have other options in your life besides being a district attorney? Well, I have a family. I have five children. Four of them are teenagers. My youngest is nine. Um, so spending time with my family is the only thing I do besides my job at this point. And I, there's just not time for anything else. My kids are very busy. So fortunately, I get an opportunity in the evenings to watch them and their activities and, and things of that nature. So 
My family is certainly my focus outside of this office. I also teach Sunday school in the town of East Greenbush on Sundays, which is actually something I really enjoy doing. They're a fun bunch. Those are the things I do in my spare time, which is not a lot, but I am grateful for the opportunity to be busy in this in this job. I was going to ask you about whether or not you felt crime was on the upswing or on the downswing. My analysis, and and this isn't driven by data, is I I do think crime is on the upswing. I'm not going to necessarily agree with that statement as much as I believe criminals have become emboldened. I do think that bail reform, the publicity that it has received, has given a message to people who live a criminal lifestyle that they can get away with certain things and there won't be an immediate penalty. And what can we do as the community? Well, one thing that the community can do, and it won't apply to every resident, is we need to find a way to enhance communication between the community and law enforcement. Additionally, younger younger folks are not held responsible under the law anymore since Raise the Age, and we are seeing a dramatic rise in young people in possession of illegal guns, and that that is also... Illegal guns? Yes people under the age of 17. It can be very concerning. But I can definitely say from what I have observed, I do have a concern that young people, as well as defendants in in courts across the county, have become emboldened in terms of lack of respect for the process, failure to appear, because they know there can be no sanctions. In your estimation, is there some way this can be remedied? Is there some solution? I think it starts with trying to connect with our youth trying to help them overcome hurdles. Um, I'm a mother, as I told you, of, of five children, four teenagers. We live in the suburbs. My children have stability. They have advantages. I work here in the city of Troy, and I know there are so many children a stone's throw away that don't have what my children have. And how can we hold them to the same standard? How can we expect them to be able to overcome the hurdles that life throws at them. So I don't have concrete answers. What what I've tried to do is support youth programs, build trust in the process, but as a district attorney, somewhat out of my wheelhouse to be able to do as much as I would like to do as a as a human being. Because I really do think it's a matter of youth turning to gangs, to gang influence, to the influence of older individuals who may in fact have nefarious intentions. And, and taking advantage of young people who don't have strong family structure and who don't have advantages. And I think that's the heart and soul of the problem that we have in our country. And I, quite frankly, don't know how to fix it. I often think we should have some programming for young women to help them make decisions so that they don't end up in a situation where they're they're trying to raise their family alone. The city of Troy does have some wonderful community leaders that really invest their time into the youth. And I know it's so disheartening for them when they see these kids that they have tried so hard to to support end up, you know, on the wrong side of things. So we've got a lot of work to do as a community. And I, I, um, I don't have concrete answers, but what I can offer is transparency, honesty, hoping that people know that what goes on here in this office is done in the interest of justice and nothing more. At least we can solve that problem in Rensselaer County. This has been Andrea Cunliffe with Hudson Mohawk Magazine, speaking with Mary Pat Donnelly, District Attorney of Rensselaer County. Thanks, Andrea Cutleff. I just like the name Andrea. You know, Andrea. Some, Andrea, I'm sorry. Yeah, some people have a name that all you got to do is just say the first name. So thanks, Andrea, for the interview. Remember that Election Day is this coming Tuesday, November 8th. Vote, vote, vote. Finally, we end with an arts piece. Our poetry correspondent, Tom Francis, talks with local poet and artist Elizabeth Gordon about poetry slams, sharpening metaphors, 
and how an open mic event in 2011 changed her writing forever. Elizabeth Gordon is a poet, artist, educator, and now an organizer and host of a monthly Poetry Slam series at Cafe Euphoria in Troy. In September 2011, she came across an event listed on the Albany Poets website that looked interesting that was taking place at Valentine's, a gritty rock and roll club in Albany, and she decided to check it out. What she didn't know was that open mic and poetry slam would change her writing forever. At that open mic, she read poems composed from the text of the back of an aspirin bottle and Murphy's oil soap, and the rest, as they say, is history. So I was at the UAG open mic and the host said, don't be shy, come up, you could read the back of an aspirin bottle if you can make it work. So I took that as a challenge. So here goes the back of an aspirin bottle with most of it blacked out, you know, about blackout poetry. Oh man, I'm using up like 10 seconds, just putting my fucking glasses on, okay. Low dose aspirin bottle blackout, one. Facts, minor delayed action will keep children and teenagers alert and bleeding. Pregnant professionals exceed water, exceed Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> Two, this is the same bottle. Active aches and pains recommended by your doctor will provide symptoms needing children. Not this pox, not this syndrome, but serious liver, serious use. Drug therapy recommended by its immediate, drug therapy recommended because of its immediate, complete poison, a full glass, not to exceed each safety-coded adult. <laughs> and you know what, if you try this, cleaning products are much more optimistic. So here goes a cleaning product. Murphy's Oil Soap. <laughs> Free love with bookcases. Clean, natural excess. No reach required. No residue dulling years. Well, I, re I remember just being blown away by that format. And, you know, something said, uh, try this. It's an opportunity to stimulate your writing, you know, and just have fun and be be a part of this, um, you know, something in me really wanted to get on stage. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, I think I, I was a competitive person who hadn't had enough opportunities for competition, like in sports. I think if I, if we'd had girls sports in high school, I would have got it out of my system, you know, but I had right. this late... <laughs> latent need to compete on a, you know, in a team format, you know, with really clear winners, losers, and points. I like the point thing and holding yes. up the, I think, I think I was asked to judge. And that was part of the reason I, I know I was asked to judge. And that was part of the reason I liked it so much because I really had to pay attention to, to every poet and think about it more. Whereas if I'd just been in the audience, I might've, you know, uh, gone to the bathroom or gotten a drink or stepped outside. But, uh, but I was like, I have to sit here and watch. I was up front. Two weeks after that first time out to the slam, Elizabeth came back to Valentine's to compete. And this time she won. I remember liking yep. it. And I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem for slam. This poem never would have emerged if I was not thinking stage, multicultural contact, context, young people in a bar, you know, people out having fun. 
Yeah, that I totally wrote that. And it was such a thrill because people were like a couple lines into it. They were they were, uh, you know, screaming and it was like a, a concert. And I was like, it was so thrilling as a poet. You're writing, you know, alone, mostly. And now and then you publish something in some magazine that then, you know, goes defunct three years later, you know. Um, but just just to have real people in the room, and they're looking at you and they're responding to some of your words and then they're not to others. And it's just like a very good connection to the audience. And that connection kept her coming back. After that first win, Elizabeth was hooked and she went on to change the way she wrote and edited her poems, crafting her words in a completely different way. I, I just loved it so much. I wouldn't miss it. It felt like really important for me to meet this challenge, you know, and try to write poems that people connected with. So, yeah. And that's how you saw so it? Fun. Yeah, and you saw it as a challenge. Oh, very a much so, but not in, not in a not in a hard way, but in a well. I'm going to try to write a villanelle. I'm going to try to write a sestina. You know, I'm going to try to write some haiku. I'm going to try to write a slam poem. It's it seemed like a set form that I really liked, and it gave me permission to rhyme. You know, which modern poets we don't always. You know, it's hard to make it work. You know, but if you right. listen to rap and you're listening to songs and and Algo PV, they were rhyming. So I'm like, it's I'm allowed to rhyme. It's not corny, you know. And um, that was really fun and challenging. You know, the, the the speed of it. I don't know where it came from. You know, I really don't know. Once I started writing those poems, I got really excited and I revised them a lot. It wasn't like it came out instantly, but I had a sense of what I was trying to create, and I just kept revising. Um, and then getting feedback from the audience, it's like, oh, wow, they didn't need all that, you know, and I was like, but what they didn't need was not the best part of the poem. It was like, it taught you, it, it really is a, a training in revision, in cutting the fluff, cutting what's unnecessary and sharpening every metaphor, because a really good metaphor, you'll get a reward for that. And mm. my tendency is, my tendency is to overwrite or overthink a metaphor and to reach for the most bizarre metaphor that nobody else would ever think of. And sometimes it's just got to be practical. It's just got to communicate quickly what falling in love is like. She then learned how important timing was in the writing of the poem. It was just part of the format, you know, like if you're going to write a a sonnet you're going to have 14 lines and you're not like oh god i hate this 14 lines you know you're just going to make it work so the three minutes i found was a great stimulus for revision because i would always come in four minutes three and a half minutes five minutes you know and mm -hmm. then you're like but i but i want the poem to work i want to be able to perform it and i think it always got better as i revised it down and then you go to a national event and there's the two minute format and the one minute format then it it, it, it and then when you perform it it is stressful. To me, that was 70% of the stress of performing was, am I going to get a time penalty? All these years later, Elizabeth has now started a new Poetry Slam series in Troy, taking place on the first Friday of every month. Well, Cafe Euphoria, we want to get people in there. <laughs> um, okay. And I'm on the board and I, I had a memory and an idea. I had a memory of like going to Slam for Your Die. Um, nitty gritty slam slam for your die in way up in New Hampshire it was like a three hour drive and I went pretty regularly and I went to a couple slams in New York City pretty regularly and they would be packed like in New York City it was a weekly slam and it would be packed every yeah. week so I'm like slam is a way to get people into the venue 
So that's the main thing I was thinking, either open mic or we're doing open mic and slam. I also had, I was telling the people who were there, we're creating our own slam. We're making up our own rules. You know, how do you want to do it? How many rounds? You know, and that's a great thing about slam is you have this basic format, but you can decide no time limit, or you can decide we're giving an extra point if your poem uses the word magnificent somewhere in it. You know, you can just throw in these different rules. Oh, that's great. Um, with a couple of events under her belt, can we expect to see a team being formed to compete against other slams in the region? Elle has talked about wanting to uh, uh, reinvigorate uh, the team, um, the uh, Cap City Slam, the most recent Albany team. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't think I have the time or the energy for that and or the skills. You know, I'm not sure how to do how to make it happen. Um, uh, you know, we've only had two slams and and it's you know uh, it's a very informal it's open mic and a, and a, a two-round slam um so to actually think about a team that would travel you know that's a lot and there's the fundraising aspect which you didn't mention when you were mentioning you know the the promotion aspect the fundraising aspect that's big right now i'm looking at getting people into cafe euphoria having poetry happen you know, and I know slam was good for me and I know it's good for a lot of people just to, it's the last soapbox, you know, you can get up there and if you're really bothered by the use of plastic, single use plastic, you can write a poem about it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it'll, and people will like it, people, and people will hear it, you'll get a message across. Elizabeth Gordon took first place at many slams in the area and was on the first team to ever represent Albany at the National Poetry Slam in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2012. She has gone on to perform all over the country, wowing crowds with her wordplay and imagery. In her free time, when she's not writing and planning poetry events, she is painting as well as teaching online courses at Northampton Community College. Slam Euphoric takes place on the first Friday of every month at Cafe Euphoria at 225 River Street in downtown Troy. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis. Thanks, Tom, for that reminder of how participating in arts events can change one's life. Now, in closing, and that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm H. Bosch Jr. And I'm Sina Bazila Hickey, also the engineer for tonight. And we want to thank all of our volunteers who made this episode possible. Absolutely. Contributors to today's episodes are Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, Andrea Cunliff, Tom Francis, and my co-host, H. Bosch Jr. Yes. All right. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. All right. Uh, the program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and by the community. You know, we want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at mediasanctuary.org or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand on our website and your favorite podcast. We appreciate you listening. Until next time, folks, God bless, and may heaven continue to smile upon you.